0: Good morning, Georgetown. It's a new school year. Maybe it's a new school year of firsts for some of us. Uh, For some of you with kids, it may be their first year of trying to find class in a building they've never been to. It may be the first year of trying to get from one class to another on time. Uh, For a lot of us, probably everyone that's in school, it's it's a season of where's my alarm clock? Because you probably didn't have it on all the way through summer. Well, welcome to the school year, it's started. Uh, For many students and student athletes, they're looking forward to games. Competition is finally going to start. We can finally stop tackling ourselves and tackle another team. And for a Central Florida high school football team, it's their first year without one of their assistant coaches. He was a former offensive lineman. He went to school where they went to school. He would graduated, gone on for his education degree and come back to his hometown to teach special education, to give back to his community. And as time would ha- uh, go on, he would become an assistant athletic director. And then it wasn't long before he had to join his football team as an assistant coach. With his high school sweetheart in the stands with their friends, cheering on their hometown football team. It was like they were living a dream under the Friday night lights, engaged assistant coach at your hometown school. The students quickly embraced their new coach, Jace, when he accepted the position earlier this year of offensive line coach, a position he played and loved coaching. So you can imagine the anticipation building as this hometown guy is now getting to coach the team he played on in the position he played. As they suffer through the sweltering heat of Central Florida practices, imagine those with pads on. They're looking forward to the fall when they get to compete. The year 23 kicked off for assistant coach Jace when he married his fiance Nicole. He enjoyed the practices this summer, probably because he didn't have pads on. (laughs) And the most important decision, though, wasn't made this year to accept the offensive line coach position. It wasn't made this year when he chose to marry Nicole. But it was made five years ago when he recommitted his life to Christ. See, Jace decided to place his faith yet again in Jesus it was because 15 years before that a pastor whose son decided he was going to play football said hey I'll be a volunteer chaplain for the team and as time went on he got to be there for Jace as a student and then again as Jace came back as an assistant coach and he got to develop a relationship not only with Jace but with some of the other assistant coaches with whom Jace was friends And as these friends got to know the chaplain and then gradually began to attend church where he preached, it became evident that these guys wanted to make a change in their lives, so they committed them together to Jesus. Some of them for the first time ever, some of them recommitting their lives, like Jace, to Jesus. So with the assistant coaches, Jace and those other men were baptized in the Gulf of Mexico by Rusty the life-changing good news of Jesus set them each on a new course of life his pastor described his faith as integral to his life now back in his coaching position the players who had been there for a while they began to tell the newer play new Players, a little bit about life on the football team. And one of the things that they would always share is if you ever have trouble, not with football, but with life in general, you can always talk to Coach Jace. Tragically, last month, less than 30 days ago, Coach Jace Norris passed away at 27 years of age in his sleep. Jace met the same end of life you and I will meet. Jace passed from this life to the next through death. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 27, for it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, when we talk about death, we all have different mindsets and they all may be formed by different or recent experiences with death. So we're gonna talk a little bit about death today. In the light of Coach Jace Norris' death, we could probably all identify with two sort of predominant feelings as we talk about death. Consider your mindset. The first thing that comes to your mind when I say death, one of them is probably sadness. We will miss that person, we'll miss the, the way that they made us feel when they walked into the room, or we'll miss the warmth that we felt for them them as we spoke in conversation. Uh, another thing that most of us would probably feel surrounding the idea of death is regret. I regret that I didn't say something to them. I regret that I didn't answer the phone when they called. I regret that I didn't take that trip I always wanted to take with them. Sadness and regret are probably two of the predominant feelings we have. When I say death, it seems like our mindset is predominantly negative. What do we think about when a family member passes away? What if it's a friend? Whoever it is that you're close to, it's a family member or it's a friend, and maybe you get to sit with them for some of the last days of their life on earth, are there there memories as they begin to remember their life, knowing their death is approaching, are there memories that they begin to share that are good? Are there memories that are bad? Are there memories that are happy? or memories that are sad? Or is there any way in which you can characterize as you reflect whether you've done this yourself or not, you can reflect, are they sharing memories that are in one way or another glad that they've served Jesus with their life or regretting that they didn't get to serve Him in a way in which they wish that they could have served Him. I wonder if as we think about death, we think about the way our conversation, our memories, or even the way we remember our life, if there's any impression of Jesus and His life on those memories. And for each one of us, I'm sure that that's different. But for some of us, it may be that as the end of life approached, you could tell that there was an orientation towards heaven. And you can tell that there was a relationship that was living and active. Because you could tell as they spoke that their life was lived. And maybe you remember that life yourself in a way that there was this love that seemed like it just had no end, that it was overflowing. And then when you bumped into that person, love spilled out. Solomon was conceived in death. So this whole message this morning has a backdrop of death, and it's no different now that we read some of Solomon's writing. He was conceived in death because his father had his mother's husband murdered. So this is the man that writes this. He was considered at the time of his life to be the wisest man that ever lived. He writes, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. So what could he possibly mean by that? Imagine the richest man that ever lived at the time considered the wisest man. Imagine the man who has more resources than any man on earth. Solomon had some time on his hands and he chose to reflect On life, which had a necessary end that he has seen more times than man can count death. Solomon knew life was measurement. Solomon knew that there was a specific and certain end to life, and it caused him to reflect. His wise advice was to acknowledge that end and to live purposefully towards it. The psalmist says it this way. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Are you wise toward death in living the life we're given? Are you wise toward the fact that there is a certain end? and thereby living each day in a manner consistent with the fact that you are going to die, and that you've proclaimed a specific Savior named Jesus, not only as your Savior, but also as your Lord, your boss, your leader. Are you wise toward death? At different times in our lives, we may think that we're facing death. And to clarify, I don't mean that tomorrow morning you're thinking, oh my gosh, I have to actually get in that traffic again to get across the bridge. I am going to die. I don't mean like, oh my gosh, I'm suffering so much I'm gonna die, or I wanna die. Man, I'm sure that's some intense suffering. I got to sit in an extra hour of traffic the one time I crossed it this week, and I agree it was miserable. But I mean certain death. Have you faced certain death And when you did, were you immediately then now realizing death is certain and I must number my days, even my moments. I have a very slim experience with death a couple of times. And I will say that both times I was never ambiguous about whether I was on the road to death. Because when you're on the road to death, when it is like right on the other side of the next moment, you begin to have a conversation with your creator that probably sounds something like, uh, for me, the first time, um, God, please watch over and care for my family. I'm definitely coming to see you. And then the next time, uh, before I hit the pavement, God saved me. And then as I rolled down the pavement, God saved me. And God saved me. But you're never really unclear when you're on the road to death that you are definitely going to die. You know for sure. And so some of you have faced that in your own lives. But how funny is it that even having faced it, so many of us holding the hand of a loved one that faced it or facing it ourselves, how many of us then just entirely forget that there is an end to life? that we must measure our days. How easy is it to forget that in spite of the fact we know life is going to end, it it is certain, yet we act like it's never coming. How many of us could leave here today, have a heart attack, an aneurysm, a stroke tonight, and be no more? You go to sleep and you wake up with Jesus. How many of us could pull out of here, drive safely home, but tomorrow morning get hit by a drunk driver, and then we're with Jesus? Life is not certain. The psalmist says, teach us to number our (laughs) days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So Jace's life, Coach Norris' life, is, is over, but Someone who believed enough in Jesus, who numbered their days in such a way that they decided to live purposefully for Jesus before the end of their life made an impact in Jace's life. And then Jace, following the example of Jesus, began to share the way that his life was changed with those who asked, namely, some other coaches and students. You could say Jesus' life produced fruit. The gospel writers record Jesus' words. And these are Jesus' words after he's already faced death. He's appeared to many. He's resurrected. He's now on his way home to his father in heaven. So it's it's still got a backdrop of death because Jesus has conquered death. He's now resurrected and he knows that his disciples are going to have to measure their days. They're going to have to do something with the time they have left to make it count because life will end. So Jesus put it this way, and you've heard these familiar words, but place the backdrop of death behind it as I read them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples... Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or to observe or to put into practice all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, these instructions sound kind of familiar. If you're on a Bible reading plan that started at the beginning of the year in Genesis, you probably came through Deuteronomy months ago now. But these words might echo a man named Moses who was also preparing to ascend. Although he wasn't going to go up into the clouds until they could see him no more like Jesus, he himself was going to ascend in front of people that he served to a mountain to overlook a land that was promised to them. So Moses, if I can set the scene, Moses is preparing to go up this mountain and to see the promised land that he doesn't get to enter. But imagine the people to whom he's just finished Speaking, he's just finished sharing all of the goodness of God with God's people, the Israelites. And his last words to them before Moses ascends the mountain. Remember, these are people that Moses has led, they're they're actually the, the children of the people Moses has led out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They've seen water come from a rock, they've eaten food that appeared every morning and wouldn't save overnight. These are people who have followed a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. They're people who have constructed and taken down a tabernacle time after time. They're people who definitely liked complaining, lots of complaining. And together, Moses and these Israelites, they've received the Ten Commandments. So these are those children of the people who have done all that with David. And some of them have done some of that, I'm sorry, with Moses, have done some of that with Moses. Now imagine Moses' last words to the children of the people. So backdrop again, death. Not only Moses' death is coming, but all of the parents of all of these people to whom Moses is now speaking, they have all died in the wilderness. Moses says this to them. They're about to enter the promised land. He says, Take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. So after facing death, Jesus tells his disciples to to baptize, to disciple, to teach, to obey. He instructs his disciples to do that to everyone in every nation. Now Moses is saying... The same thing as Moses faces death, as all of the parents of those people have died, as they get to ready to take the promised land, to cross the River Jordan, Moses is reminding them that it's important to obey, to carefully obey these words of this law. Listen to what Moses says in verse 47. These are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Moses is handing them a key to life. Jesus is handing his disciples keys to life. And it's in the backdrop of death that these words of life are given. Moses is giving Israel life. Share your truth. Teach them to obey. Jesus is giving life as he gives these instructions in the backdrop of conquered death. Jace lost his life in his sleep. But even by his death, there's new life. And we didn't finish Jace's story <clears throat> The players who looked up to Jace also, of course, looked up to their chaplain, Rusty. He was Jace's chaplain and pastor as well. So as the players each began processing in their own time, at their own rate, and all having their own experience of death of their assistant coach, Jace, as they began processing, they had some questions that would come pretty natural to a bunch of kids who'd never been to church. What happens after death? And when you ask a chaplain or a pastor, you quickly find out about heaven, about judgment, about hell. So the abrupt end of Coach Norris' life was a reminder to them. It helped them to measure their days. It helped them like Solomon to see that there's a definite end. And from his death, then there was life. Because of the conversations that these players began having with Rusty, they got answers about the truth of life and death and new life in Jesus. Because of Coach Norris' death, many of these players turned to the same place that he turned to find answers, to find hope. Because Coach Norris' life was described His spiritual life was described as being integral to his entire life. These players knew where his hope came from. It wasn't too long after Coach Norris passed from this life to the next that 14 of those players and another assistant coach decided to give their lives to Jesus. And that other assistant coach happened to be Coach Norris' brother. They received Jesus as their Savior, and they're trying to make Jesus Now remember that he died a month ago, barely a month, the 8th of July. So in the same Gulf of Mexico where Coach Norris and some other assistant coaches gave their lives to Christ, now 14 players and an assistant coach, Jace's brother, gave their lives to Christ this last month. You'll see uh, in this video, in this picture, a bearded guy who's obviously the pastor and some other coaches performing these baptisms. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, You are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, You are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, We praise God for those lives that have come as a result of death. Our mindset about death has to change. We have to see death as daily and as a gateway to life. Paul writes it this way. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into, say it with me, Georgetown, into death. Just, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Life comes from death. Daily death leads to life. Paul says it's the way to the newness of death to ourselves, death to our wishes, death to our desires, specifically those that are ungodly, death to our preference, death to our sin. Paul writes later that by the power of the Holy Spirit, alive and at work in our hearts and lives, we put to death, the sinful nature, or the parts of our body, the parts of our life that want to give themselves over to sin. There's a power inside of each of us that transforms us into Jesus-likeness. But it's only when we're focused on death in a different way, in a way that death can bring life. But if we're not even aware that there is a death, and if we forget so frequently that we're not going to face death, how committed to daily death, can we be because it's by daily death that we're going to find this newness of life that Paul invites us to live. Last week our elders have a text group that uh, often there will be an article or a a link shared to something that God is doing in our world today And, and an article was shared by Mike Hartman this week about thousands of people willingly dying in California so this is just a clipping From the Washington Times, I think Robin sent this link after we'd heard this. Mass baptisms in Southern California described in biblical proportion. So if you think of a biblical proportion, you might be recounting Acts chapter 2, where how many thousand gave their life to Christ? Say it with me, 3,000. So in California this week, 4,500 people were buried in baptism, in death with Jesus and raised to newness. Of life and we've got 14 in Port Charlotte now what about Georgetown Christian in Georgetown Christian we've seen a remarkable number of baptisms 11 this year so far but nine in the last three months and we give all the praise and glory to God for that and we do for for everything that he's done here to bring people to himself the glory is due all to him but there's a question that the church in Port Charlotte is left with. And it's the same question we're left with. And it's the same question that all of these new believers in California now have. And their, their churches have to answer this question. How do I get from an everyday person to a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? How do I go from this death and this newness of life Now, I'm just a baby Christian that Paul says drinks milk. How do I get from drinking milk like a baby to eating like an adult, to being a more mature Christian, to be what Jesus asked his disciples to do, to be a disciple maker? Not just someone who says, like, yeah, I I, uh, I got a church. But to be a disciple maker. Jesus Uh, Some Greeks were coming to Jesus to answer some questions for them, leading right up to his death. They come amidst the preparations for Passover. They go to Philip, who goes to Andrew, who gets Jesus, and the Greeks ask Jesus about life. And Jesus answers this way. This is John telling us what Jesus answers. He says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, and say it with me, Georgetown dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seeds anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant also will be we have nine In the last three months, nine baby Christians walking around here, worshiping with us, maybe serving alongside us already. Maybe they're in an elective with you. Maybe you work with them or you see them occasionally when you're both at work. Maybe they're in school with you. Eleven total baby Christians that God has entrusted the care to this church. And we have to answer the question, how do we move from an everyday person who just decided I'm going to die to myself, I'm going to be made new in Christ, to becoming someone like the guys who were with Jesus for three years, who were sent out as the not perfect people they were, to make disciples? How do we walk that path between the death that leads to life and life? that looks like daily death that others might live. Well, it's sort of like going to Louisville right now. If I'm honest, it's kind of like going to Louisville. And I know that that sounds a little like death for some of you, but it's not death. It's daily death, I get that. It may be dying to your preferences when you go to Louisville to work, you'd prefer to just be sick at home. But it's kind of like going to Louisville right now because we have Shermageddon, we can't get across that bridge, And so how many of us have tried our hand at navigating a new way to Louisville? Maybe you're going to drop down Cordon Pike, or maybe you're going to stay in the right lane all the way down 64 and get over into that second lane ramp. Or maybe you're going to go all the way down and try Spring Street and just suffer. Whatever way we've all tried, when it comes down to it, you get to the river and there are only so many ways across the river. And so just like there are only so many ways across a river, you're going to have to sit on a bridge and suffer if you really want to get into Louisville. In the same way, Christians over the centuries have practiced ancient ways that lead to modern maturity. They've practiced ancient habits that take a person who just decided, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord and and, and I'm going to make him my Savior, but I'm going to do it in a way such that at the end of my life, I can reflect and say, I'm so glad I lived a life that was for Jesus because my life looks a little like maybe maybe Coach Jace's life. And then when my life ends, there might be multiple seeds that produce fruit that is a harvest of glory for a Savior that I also call Lord So I hope that you join us in the next couple of weeks as we discover how ancient Christians have pursued maturity in Christ. And we try to pick apart which piece was cultural. And we try to lift from their time and say, which piece and how can this still be practiced in a 21st century world? Because God has entrusted us, both new believers and many longtime believers, And together, we're going to journey through what it's looked like to follow the way, the way of the cross. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be gathered in your name, to come under the teaching of your word, to experience your Holy Spirit convict each of us of sin and to move us closer toward a life that comes from death, that we might daily die in a way that brings you glory and in a way that matures us into the likeness of Jesus. Father, this morning we pray that as we unwrap over the next couple of weeks those ancient paths that you would show each of us how we can grow in the image and likeness of Jesus that our lives might be lived with the knowledge that from death comes life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.